If you got your Bibles, go to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read at verse 9. Before we do, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you and we praise you, God, for you are a good God, a great God. Help us to focus on you, meditate on you, God. Truly teach us who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So in this passage, Paul running his long list of all the people who want to inherit the kingdom of God. But the end is what we're going to focus on. It says, Such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So we said we're justified in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And we've been talking about the Holy Spirit of God. Who is this Holy Spirit? And last week we talked about how, tried to answer the question, what kind of person is the Holy Spirit? We said that he was a person, a real person that we can relate to, that we can commune with. He has his own thoughts. He has his own ideas, his own will. And we're trying to understand what kind of person is he? And last week we was talking about how he is an eternal person, but a complex personality, which we're going to dig a little deeper in later. Because the Bible refers to him as the seven spirits of God. Talked about all these other deep spooky stuff that don't seem to make sense. So he's a complex person. He's not a simple person. But he's an eternal person. He's an all-knowing person. He's an omnipresent person. So this is the type of person he is. But before we move any further, just going to deal with this question. It's be a little quick because it's a little more academic. And we ain't going to stand too long on it. But the question of... We've been begging the question, so to speak, that the Holy Spirit is God. And most of us will say that we believe that, that the Spirit of God, he is God. But if we be honest, a lot of us come from different backgrounds, different church bringing. Some of us come from no church bringing. And we have come up with different ideas or concepts of what we mean when we say that. And in this church world, there's a lot of confusion about what do we really mean when we say that the Holy Spirit is God. So that's what we're going to look at a little bit, try to understand it a little better and see can we come to a unity of mind and understanding of what we mean. Just to give an example, most people, when they think about the Holy Spirit being God or the Trinity, whatever words you want to use, how you want to think about it, we got these all these ideas and analogies. Just raise your hand if you ever heard of some of them. Like the oldest one is he's like the fork, the three-leaf clover. That's one of the oldest examples. It's one clover, but there's three leaves that make up the clover. And it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, but they all one clover. That's one example a lot of people use. Like, that's an ancient one. Most of y'all ain't never heard of that. That go all the way back. See, that go way back to St. Patrick. Y'all be wearing that green on that stuff. That's how he taught the people about the Trinity. Yes. Using the, the clover. That's foolishness. And we're going to try to understand why. Some of you went to elementary school and you got to talk about the phases of liquids and water and gas. And water, liquid, gas, and solid. See, that's like the Trinity. See, liquid, gas, and solid, but all of it is H2O. Any of y'all ever ever heard of that one? You probably used it before trying to witness somebody. Yeah. It sounds a little deep, but that don't make sense. And some people do the triangle. See, it's three angles, but it's one. I'm saying because it's three gods, but it's one. But they all make one, but it's three, and you're separated. 
and the father is not the son, and the son is not the father, and the son is not the spirit, and so on and so forth. See, but it's three. Anybody ever heard any form of that? Okay, that's you're not for some people. And then you got some traditions that think of it like us. Like yesterday, I had on a shirt that had a little badge on it. And that identified me as a DYS worker. I had access. I can do some things that some people can't do just because I had that little symbol on my shirt that represented the state of Alabama Department of Youth Service. That gave me some certain rights and certain powers. But then when I got home, I took it off. And when I took it off, I became dad. I'm daddy now. And then I can go, and this one lady, she called me husband. So I'm DYS worker, I'm father, and I'm husband. But I'm all one person. And some people, that's how they think about God. It's like he was the father at the beginning, making everything. Then he came down and became Jesus to save the world. Then he went back to heaven and came down as the spirit inside our hearts to save us. Or to to sanctify us. And it's all, we got all these different thoughts and all these different concepts of how do we think about the Holy Spirit. But what we're going to try to dive in is how does the Bible think about it? And the reason I brought this passage in, because in verse 11, Paul makes this statement. He said, we're justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So he refers to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of our God. So he putting it is God's spirit. Everybody got that. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of our God, meaning it's God's spirit. But watch this. It's it's beautiful. We're going to run these real quick. Go to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, verse 29. So all the different ways they talk about this spirit, they get the, everything all confused. Then we'll try to bring some clarity. All right. This is another one of them um, life verses. Numbers eleven twenty nine. It said, Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake, would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord will put his spirit upon them. So this is Moses praying. People was jealous. I got to explain this. This is one of my life verses too. People were complaining about Moses because Moses was the prophet of God. He's speaking for God. And so the people coming against him, like, well, basically, what make you think you so special? You think you're the only one that talked to God, the only one that prayed for God? And, and they're getting all crumped. And Moses asked him the question. He's like, do you get envious for my sake? Because a big contention arose. Like, you ain't doing it for me. It's my prayer that everybody was as I were. And he said he wished that all people were prophets just like him, that the Lord would put his spirit on all people. So this was the desire of Moses. We're going to talk about that a little more later. But Moses prayed that some way, somehow, God would put his spirit on all people. And that was the desire of Moses. And that's what we're supposed to get. But that ain't what we're talking about right now. But he referred to him as whose spirit? His spirit, referring to God. So Moses thought of it as his spirit, God's spirit. Go to Judges. So he's the spirit of God. He's his spirit. Judges chapter 3. Just run these real quick. Judges chapter 3, verse 10. Judges 3, 10. And it says, in the spirit of the Lord, came upon him and judged Israel, and he went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushera, king of the Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Cushera, <laughs> 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 So let's talk about one of the judges, Othniel, is his name, I can say his name, but that dude he was battling against, complex. But he's talking about the spirit that came upon Othniel to make him accomplish his task. Here he's referred to as the spirit of Yahweh. So he's the spirit of God. He's God's spirit. He's the spirit of Yahweh. In other places, he referred to as the spirit of Jesus Christ. He's referred to as the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead. So we've got all these references that connects him to the father. 
as God's spirit. And if you just read them, we can go through a little whole boatload of them. You will get the idea in your head that this spirit is something that God possesses. So it's something that belongs to him. It's something that he possesses. But does that mean that it is one with him in the sense that it's just the spirit of God? Like some people think, because you can talk about I was grieved in my spirit. And you won't get the idea of there's two of you. Is that this is what's going on inside of me. And so when he's talking about the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of the Lord Jesus, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of him that raised him from the dead. In the New Testament, Jesus referred to him as the spirit of your father. So all this spirit, does that mean that he is one with the father in the sense that they're the exact same and there's no disconnect? There's no distinction between them because that's what a lot of people believe. That is just this is God's spirit. John chapter four will tell you that God is a spirit. So when we talk about the spirit of God, we're talking about God and he moves. He changes just like I was a DYS worker, a father and a husband. I operate in different modes at different times. So is this what God does? Go to. John chapter 16, one of the places we started at John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 7. All right, John chapter 16, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, this is Jesus talking. Say, it's expedient for you that I go away. Because if I don't go, the comforter won't come. But if I go, I will send him to you. So that makes it seem like Jesus is somewhat distinct from this spirit because he has the power to send him. So who going to send the spirit? Jesus. It's like, if I go away, I'm going to send him to you. Back up to chapter 15, verse 26. It says, but when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the father, even the spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. So Jesus talking again. He's going to send the Father, send the, the comforter, this spirit. But where is he going to send him from? From the Father. He said, even the spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father. So now we see some distinction. Not only is the spirit something separate from Jesus, but the spirit goes forth from the Father. Jesus has the ability to tell the spirit, to go into the world out from the Father. So when he's sending them, he's not sending the Father. He's sending the Spirit, something distinct. And it's the same Spirit of truth, the same Spirit of God, the same Spirit of our Lord. So we see a small ability of distinction beginning to form in this. So Jesus is sending this Spirit. The Spirit is coming from the Father, and he's sending them out into the world. Are y'all with me? Go to. Back up in chapter 15. No, chapter 14. It's chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 15 and 16. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. So Jesus talking again about this same comforter. So you pray to Father, and I'm going to send you another comfort. Same thing he said in 15. But this time he says he's going to pray to the Father. So he's going to ask the Father to send another comforter. And the Father is going to send him. So the Father is sending something that proceeds forth from himself. So it is not him that is coming. It is not the Father because he's sending him. So there is some distinction. You understand what I'm saying? So the same spirit of truth, same spirit of the Lord, spirit of God, spirit of Yahweh is something that comes forth from the father, that the father has the ability to sin. And Jesus is sending this same spirit. So there is some separation in their operation. Go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah 48 verse 16. It says, come ye near unto me. Hear ye this, I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, 
from the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God in his spirit hath sent me. Thus said the Lord, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord thy God, which teaches thee the prophet, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. So this is God talking, telling them, come ye near to me and hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, there I am. And now the Lord God in his spirit hath sent me. So it shows a distinction. So the Lord God in his spirit hath sent me. So there's two people sending. Is Yahweh our God and his spirit sending. So there's two. Y'all see that? So there's some distinction between them. And if you read back farther in the commissioning of Isaiah in chapter 6, once he saw his great vision, he saw God and the angels singing, holy, holy, holy. There came a time after he was purified where God asked the question, who shall go for us? And Isaiah spoke up saying, send me and I will go. So there was a plurality talking, who shall go for us? And he saw a vision of Yahweh. And then Yahweh gave him the command, thus said Yahweh, the Lord. The people are going to be blind, hear and not see, and so on and so forth. But when this thing is quoted in the New Testament, it said, the Holy Ghost said. The people are going to be blind, not see, give them blind eyes. So there was a us that sent Isaiah. And that us, a part of that us, was the Holy Spirit that declared the message to Isaiah that sent him in his way. So it was the Lord God and his spirit that sent them. So there's some distinction that is going on. So there's the spirit from God who is identified as the spirit of God, the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of the Lord. But he is also distinct from them. Go to Matthew chapter 4. It's Matthew chapter 3. I don't know why I keep saying 4. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. This is the baptism of Jesus. It said, when, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And a lower voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So this is Jesus being baptized. So Jesus is on earth coming up out of the water. So when he came up, saying, lo, look. So they was able to look and see. And they said they saw the spirit descending on him like a dove. So the spirit came upon Jesus in a form that was visible to the people. Or at least visible to Jesus and John the Baptist. He saw the spirit coming on him, but the voice of the father spoke from heaven. So you got three that is present here. Jesus on earth, spirit coming on him, and the father speaking from heaven. All in this one scene, all at this one instance. So that shows you there's some distinctness between them. Now, if it was the same person just switching, changing modes, changing shirts, changing hats, this could not have taken place. You understand what I'm saying? Just like I couldn't be at DYS, running the dorm, in the living room with my children, doing homework, and in the back talking to my wife. Couldn't do all three of them. Because I'm one dude. And even though you identify them as three different things, I can't do all three of them at the same time. But here you see the three working and moving and operating to the place where there's some distinction between them. So if we think of him as the, the switching of modes, separating out, we have a wrong conception of who God is because his being is more complex than that. You, you understand what I'm saying? Because he can move and he can operate at one, but in separate as he did in his mode. So we cannot just think of him as, see, the father is Jesus. And that's what he was doing in the beginning. He was judging, sitting up in the throne, creating people. And then he got sad because everybody was still sinning. So he came down and he walked the earth to save us, to down the cross for our sins, to give us right. Then he went back up to heaven, changed clothes real quick and came into our heart on the day of Pentecost so that we can be sanctified. 
if that's how we see and we think about God, we need to change our perceptions because that's not true. Because they all operate and move distinctly. But since this spirit is distinct from God, is separate from God, and we see him speaking as coming forth from God, is he just a force or emanation of God? That's the next question. Is he just a force? Is he truly equal to God? And in a couple of ways, we're going to bring this and bring this on home just to point this out. Let's stay in that same book of Matthew. Go to the end of the book. Matthew chapter 27. Or is it 26? 28. Both of them, bro. Matthew chapter 28. Verse 19. Say, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, what's the significance of this? Now, people put harp on it that it's just that one name. Now, you're going to have some church folks, they're going to teach you that. They're going to pull this verse out to you. You see it said the name. Then, especially if they're in the debate mode and you get some of them show enough Christian folk that get deep. What's the name? What, what, what's his name? Huh? What's, what's his name? I done had you come and say something. You go get deep like, dude, man, it ain't that serious. <laughs> Can we talk? What's his name? And they try to try to force you to say Jesus. Because you see, it said the name. What's the name above every name? Only name that you can be saved in. Jesus. So the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus. And that's what people are going to tell you. Now, we've seen that they operate in separation, that there's some distinction between them. So when there's talking about this name idea, we talked about this earlier, way, way back, about a year ago, so y'all don't remember. Name in the Bible represents authority, represents power, represents position. So when you say, when you're baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, you're doing it in their authority, in their power, in the position of these people, who they are. But the, the reason I bring this up, and we'll deal with it a little more later, is that the Holy Spirit is placed in unison with the Father and the Son. That's something you can't do. In the sense of if God is the greatest, and you're talking about operation and telling people what to do. If the Holy Spirit is less than God, it would be blasphemy to place them in unison with them. The theologians call this a triadic formula. We got to worry about all that. It's basically that all three names are mentioned together with the same authority and power. That is, the, you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three of them. You don't put names of inferiors on equal par with people who are superior to them. Like Bible people, I gotta do sports. Y'all gonna y'all do sports? You gonna have to catch up. I think about something else while I'm talking about this. But it's like if if we were to mention like the greatest basketball players, that'd be like, man, you got Michael Jordan. You can talk about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And you can talk about Harry Minor. That dude was awesome. People look at me like, no, dog, that is disrespectful. You can't put him in the category with the rest of them people. Most of y'all don't know who Harry Minor is. A little bit of short career. So you watch sports and you don't even know him. <laughs> but people look at that as disrespectful because he's not on par with the rest of them dudes. So his name don't even deserve to be mentioned in the same sentence as the rest of them guys. Because that's not something that you do. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's like you don't put inferiors in the same category as their superiors. Great ones we separate. And to put them on par or in the same level or elevate them to the same status where he can be included is to think of him in the sense that he got to be equal to these people. You understand what I'm saying? So when Jesus used this three, talking about all of them working and operating, 
Are you doing something in the honor or in the name of all of them? That means he thinks that the Holy Spirit is equal to him and is equal to the Father because they're equal. You get what I'm saying? So the Holy Spirit is not less than. And Paul does the same thing. Go to 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Paul does the exact same thing. He says, when he's blessing the people, he said, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So this is how he blessing them. Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost. So he got this, what the theologians call this triadic formula. All three of them put there together, but he put the Holy Ghost on equal footing with the Son and with the Father in his speaking of them. So that lets you know he think that they're equal. And if you were to read Ephesians 1, we're going to do it now for time, but that would be a good place to read and just meditate and think on this. It talks about our salvation. And in the beginning, like verse 3, it talks about how the God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And the plan, it talks about his plan. He willed this and that. Then it moves into Jesus and how he accomplished these things through the shedding of his blood. And how we have this inheritance through his work and through his operation. And it ends in like verse 18 or so in saying that, and we are sealed unto the day of redemption through the Holy Spirit. So when it talks about our salvation and our keeping, it starts with the plan of the Father and goes through the work of the Spirit of Jesus on the cross and ends with the sealing of the operation of the Spirit that makes the whole thing complete. So the Father planned it. This, Jesus came down to accomplish it, and the Holy Spirit applies it to our lives. But Paul runs it in one seamless thing in that chapter, and he moves quite beautiful. Because he sees and he's understand that the Spirit's work in our salvation is equal to the work of Jesus, which is equal to the work of the Father, because they're all our one working to save us. Y'all getting what I'm saying? So there's some distinction within them. But even though there's distinction, one is not less than the other. Because they're placed together in their movement, in their operation. So you got this Spirit who comes from God, who is distinct from God, but he is equal to God. He is eternal. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He's starting to sound like God. Go to the book of Isaiah again. Isaiah 45. No, 46. Isaiah chapter 46. Go to verse 9. Isaiah 46, 9. It says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So this is God declaring of himself. Say, so he is God and there is no other God. He is God and there is nobody like him. Go back to Isaiah 44, 24. Isaiah 44, 24. It says, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, and that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. So God created the earth. With whose help? Nobody. He said he stretched forth the earth and created it by himself. Now go to Job chapter 33. Job 33. Job 33 verse 4. It says, the spirit of God hath made me. And the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. So in Job 33, this Elihu, one of the only ones that God ain't scold and rebuke for talking foolishness. And he's speaking and declaring. He said, the spirit of God hath made me and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. So Job's friend, Elihu, the one only one that God ain't fuss at for saying he was talking, darkening counsel without knowledge. He spoke and declared that the spirit of God formed me. 
that the breath of the Almighty gave me life. But Isaiah told us that when God created, he created it how? By himself. So the same spirit that created has to be God. Because God declares that he made everything by himself. And if you read back in Genesis 1, when God spoke forth the earth into existence, it says the spirit of God hovered upon the waters. So God spoke and the spirit hovered or moved. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. So that this, this spirit of God is a creative force. He has the power to create, but only God creates. Only God makes. Only God forms. Our breath comes from the Almighty. But it's from the breath, or the same word can be translated, the spirit of the Almighty. So the spirit of the God formed me, the spirit of the Almighty. So the spirit of God made us. He's eternal. He's omniscient. He's everywhere. He's equal with God. And he does the same works that God does. He works in our salvation. He created us. He's starting to sound like God. Go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we're going to just start at verse 4. Verse 3, I'm sorry, 3 and 4. This is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They're taking up the offering and they lied because they were bringing an offering and they said that they sold everything that they had and was bringing it to the church. But they didn't do that. They sold everything that they had and hid some of the money and brought it to the church saying, and it was all that we got. Just the whole thing. It said, but Peter said, Ananias, why have Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? So this is Peter's response once he figured out they were lying. He asked him, why have you lied to the Holy Ghost? So Satan entered into you and caused you to lie to the Holy Ghost. In verse 4, it said, Why is it yet remain? Was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. So in verse 3, he told you, you lied unto the Holy Ghost. But in verse 4, he come back and said, you ain't lied to men, you lied unto God. So that shows you Peter believed that the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost was God. You understand what I'm saying? So the Holy Spirit is God. He's not a power from God. He's not a force from God. He's not something less than God. He is God, the true God, the very God, creator of heaven and earth, eternal, omniscient, all power, omnipresent. He is God. Because when they lied about the money, they were lying to God. And a side note on this, you see how Peter dealt with this. He said, when it was in your own power, you could do with it what you want to. Now, this is just a side note. They had the power with their money to give it or keep it, to spend it or save it. And there was no obligation to the church on their behalf. You, you understand what I'm saying? So when these bullies try to make you and tell you, you have to give this much money to the church if you're a real Christian, they lie. They are lying. Peter told him, when it was in your power, you could have did with it whatever you want to. He didn't say, when you sold it, all you needed to do was bring that 10% and make sure that we had what we supposed to need in that church. He could have said that, if that was the truth. But he ain't say that. He said, if it, when it was in your power, you know you're supposed to give all love to the man of God. He didn't say that. He got on them, not because that they held some money, because they lied about it, which means they had the right to do with that money as they please. So if they mama called them while they was on their way to church and say, my hot water heater blew out. I really need one. I can't get it. Can you help me? And they said, all we got of our money we were going to bring to the offering. They had the power to turn around and not go to church to buy their mama a hot water heater and not feel guilty. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Because sometimes people get bogged down. They're like, man, do I help people or do I pay my tithe? 
Do I buy my hungry cousin groceries or do I pay my tithe? Peter told them, you can do with it whatever you want to do with it. So that's just a side note. That one's free. <laughs> We're talking about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit don't make you have to bring all your money and neglect your family and neglect your obligations to take care of a dude driving a car better than yours, with clothes better than yours, who living in a neighborhood better than yours, that you've been giving money to for the better part of your life. Holy Ghost don't require that. Actually, if the Holy Ghost mandate anything, that dude should be helping you. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> so Peter thought of the Holy Spirit as God. Let's look at three more verses. We're going to drive this on home. First Corinthians chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three. Verse 16. First Corinthians 316 said, know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. So this is Paul talking. He said, know you not. Don't you know you are the temple of God? So who temple are we? The temple of God. Flip over a page, depending on how big your Bible is and go to chapter six. 619, it says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. So whose temple are we? The temple of God, the temple of the Holy Ghost. Because to say either of them is to say the same thing. So just from chapter 3 to chapter 6, Paul switched terms talking about the exact same thing. In chapter 3, you were the temple of God because the Holy Spirit was inside of you. In chapter 16, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. So being the temple of God and being the temple of the Holy Ghost is being God's temple because the Holy Spirit is God. He's not less than God. He's not just a force from God. He is God. And so when we think of him, we got to think of the mystery and the beauty of this God that we serve that can take our mind and wrap our minds for days and for hours as we meditate on and try to understand the great depth of the nature of God. It ain't just a simplified thing that you can put water, ice, gas. Because what's wrong with that analogy? Water, H2O, has to switch from all those forms. A transition to all those forms. It never is all of them at one time in the same way, but in a separate way. And that's what we have in our God. He is the Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Spirit all the time in one way. But he operates distinctly. You, you get what I'm saying? And as we understand this and we meditate on this, this is something you have to Deep in and meditate on because if you think about it, it makes a whole lot of things make sense. Because some people are gonna tell you when you ask the question, why did God make man? Said because God wanted somebody to talk to. He wanted somebody to talk to. God was just up there all by himself, and he wanted some people to communicate with, to share his love with. That is false. Why do we know that is false? Because God has been loved for all eternity. How can God be loved for all eternity when nobody exists but him? Because he loved within himself. There's a distinctness. He's a trinity. He's a triune being. He's a complex being. He's a Godhead. So he can share love in himself. He don't need us to exist so that he can show love. Because he exists, love exists because he has love within himself. He don't need us to exist to communicate with because they talk to themselves within the trinity. So God is as he always has been and there's no change in him because we exist. God is like, wow, I get to talk now. I've been having all these complex languages and ideas and I had nobody to share them with. No, God has always existed. He does not need us to express himself. He expressed himself to himself within himself because he is a completely, totally solitary being. He don't need us. 
But also when we meditate on this, think about it. Go to 1 John chapter 4, and this is where we're going to take it home at. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we're just going to do verse 4. Say, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So this is John talking about these false prophets and false spirits that are going out into the world and deceiving everybody and leading everybody astray. The spirit of Antichrist taking over the world. But he say you overcame them. You overcome these false spirits, these false Christ, the spirit of Antichrist that are going into the world. You overcome them. You defeat them. They're less than you. How are they less than you? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The greater one is God. And he dwells within a side of us if we have been filled with the spirit of God. And we, But we need to understand that the spirit of God that dwells inside of us is the same spirit of God that created the world. It's the same spirit of God that gave life to Adam. It's the same spirit of God that allowed Moses to lead the children of Israel through the wilderness. It's the same spirit of God that conquered the prophets of Baal through the power of Elijah on Mount. This is the same spirit, the same spirit that came on Samson and gave him the power to take doors off and run through a city with city gates on the back of his shoulders. It's the same spirit of God that dwells inside of you. You, you understanding what I'm saying? The same spirit of God that came when they was in the wilderness and gave these guys wisdom to create and to craft. It's the same spirit of God that dwells inside of you. It's God, the very creator of the universe. He's in you. He's greater than anything that exists. The greater one because he is God. He's the most high God. And he dwells inside of you. It's not a force. It's not a power. It's not a shaking of move that you feel. It's not some goosebumps. It's not this mystic thing that we refer to as the anointing, which means when stuff sound good and feel good. But it's God, a very God, the creator of heaven and earth dwelling inside of you. And he's greater than everything that exists. So when you think about this, because people are like, man, you know, I'm supposed to live right and do right. But there's a whole lot of temptation in the world. How many of y'all ever thought about that? Like the world full of temptation. I'm saying, y'all, everything out there, man, especially nowadays, folk crazy. It's a lot of temptation out there. So you got temptation in the world and you got the God of very gods in you. So which one wins? Man, who wins? God. Because is temptation greater than God? Nah. Is temptation wiser than God? Because temptation, that stuff can trick you. It can be slick. I'm saying, come up on you. A different way you be in a situation, you don't even know it. Is Satan wiser than God? No. But God is inside of you and Satan is in the world. So when it's a, a match of wits, who's supposed to win? God. And what God at? In you. So who's supposed to win? You. He can't trick you into anything because the greater one is inside of you. He can't overpower you into anything because the greater one is inside of you. Y'all understand what I'm saying? You in the world. You in this world. But who in you? So greater is he that's in you than he that's what? In the world. Who in the world? You in the world. <laughs> so greater is he that's in you than you that's in the world. So Jesus in you is greater than you in this world. So what if you messed up? What if you weak? What if there's a whole bunch of stuff that you're supposed to do that you can't do in this world? Who's supposed to win? Yeah. And where is he? In you. So God in you is greater than you in the world, which means the you in the world is supposed to lose to the God in you. See, that thing get a whole lot of complex. <laughs> But this is reality. We don't think like this. We say these things detached from reality. I believe the Holy Spirit is God. Great is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But what does that mean? That's why Ezekiel can say, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you and I will cause you. 
So the spirit inside of you is going to cause you. But the spirit inside of you is God. So that's why he ain't say, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you and it going to cause you. Or he's going to cause you. Or the spirit going to cause you. He said, I'm going to put my spirit and I'm going to cause you. Because he and his spirit is one and the same. So the one that's pushing you, the one that's compelling you from within in the power of God is the very God, creator of heaven and earth. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So when you think about him, you think about him as God. But understand that he as God is inside of you. And Jesus makes it mess this thing all the way up because he said crazy stuff like, if you abide in my word and my word abide in you, then I'm going to go to the Father and me and the Father going to make our bold inside of you. That get a little bit deeper. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be inside of me. He said, I'm going to fill you with my spirit. Then he said, he's going to come live inside of me. Then he said, me and the Father going to come live inside of you. Now think about this. There was a point where nothing that we see was, and the only thing that existed was God. And he had the ability to in him, in himself, of himself, without anything outside of himself, create everything that we see. Just think about it. That's hard to think about. You can go back to a point in history. I can't even say a point in time. It, it, it don't make sense. Because one day, time was not. And then he started making stuff, and time started. And one of those such things is time. Because God is eternal, which is outside of time, and the only thing that existed was him. So he's greater than anything we can conceive of. All by himself. Made everything. Made time. Made gravity. Made cells. Made human beings. Made grass to grow. All this type of stuff. Stuff we don't, we don't even think about. Created atmospheric pressure. That's always amazing to me. And the reason it's so amazing is that it helped us stay alive. He got this thing so precise to where my lungs breathe because of the atmosphere that I live in. And the atmosphere that I live in is controlled by nothing on this planet. But it exists. It, it is a part of creation. That, that, that's deep. And the Bible tells us that when God made this earth, he did not make it void in the sense of without purpose. He did not make it useless, but he created it to be inhabited. Think about that. He created this earth to be inhabited. So when he crafted this thing, he had people living here in mind. So everything that exists is subservient to that purpose. All the stuff we would be amazed by, all the stuff that just take our mind back, all that stuff was created for the purpose of you living here. That get a little bit deep. Like I said, you go all the way back to elementary school and they tell you about the water cycle. And you got the vast oceans that 70 some percent of the earth is covered with water. And then through the heating of the sun and its rays, the water evaporates into the sky and it forms cloud and it comes back down as rain. That's amazing. But when all that stuff happening, all that stuff is happening so Cabronica could stay alive. Because he take all that water from the ocean, clean it, filter it, produce rain, and send it back down as fresh water. That get captured in springs, that get captured in certain stuff that she could pick up a cup and drink. That's deep. He's greater than pure. <laughs> and it don't cost a hundred and some dollars for you to hook it up to your fox. <laughs> God crafted this thing this way. All of this beauty, all of this grandeur was just so you could be alive. He used all this creative power to make this thing so you can have a place to stay. And this place to stay can sustain you. And you know, think about that. All of this stuff came to be by this one who existed by himself and he crafted all of it so I can live. But then he jumped in it and jumped inside of me. 
if he has the ability to make oceans fresh water to give me something to drink. Thousands of years before I was ever created, he thought about that. Living inside of me, this full power, this full force of God. Why can he not order my steps? Why can he not craft my existence? Why can he not order my mind, my thoughts, my emotions to the place where I can sustain in this life that he gave me to live? Why don't I believe that? If he can make my cells grow and replicate, independent of me being conscious of it, why can he make his fruits within me grow, develop, and replicate, independent of me being conscious of it? This same God, you, you understand what I'm saying? He lives inside of you. So I should never be hopeless because every time I open my eyes, I see hope. The sun exists and operates so I can stay alive. And God planned that thousands of years ago. And so if he's going to keep that sun coming up, if he's going to keep the, the, the moon moving in his phases, he's going to keep water growing. If he's going to keep plants growing just so I can stay alive, why won't he keep working in me? That's my hope. Because the same God that made that made me and he lives inside of me and he made that for me. And so if he cared enough to come out of eternity, to come inside of me, to lead me and to guide me and to be in me, to make me his own. I should have full expectation that I'm going to see all the fullness and the manifestation of the fruition of what God promised. You understand what I'm saying? So if he took the time to. To fine tune all the forces of gravity so that we won't be crushed. You think he gonna let the weight of this world crush you? Like, man, I give up on life. I don't wanna live no more. Why? Because life is hard. I can't take it. I can't go on. I can't do it. I've been overcome. I've been weighed down. You, you, stuff get hard. But gravity is stronger than the pressures of peer pressure. You think so? Like gravity keep us floating, they tell us. And to keep us from floating, they tell us. It keep everything down here. But it's so precise from what these physicists tell us that if the gravity was to be turned up by one centimeter, we would all would be crushed and die. And if you would move it the other way, lessen it up, one centimeter on it, like think of it like a dial. We all would float away and vanish into nothingness. That's what they tell us. And they can't figure out how it got like that. They can't tell you why it's like that. We don't know. It's just that this has been happening for billions of times, and it's the only one that got it right. <laughs> That's what they're going to tell you at school. It's like Earth's been, been being made, and they get destroyed, and they be made, and they get destroyed, and you got like 20 billion universes out there. And this is just the only one that works. That's foolishness. This is the only one that worked because God created this one that worked. But if he's so precise to fine tune every little bit of his creation to sustain your existence, he's just that much more precise to fine tune every bit of your internal recreation, your regeneration, your new creation to sustain your existence in the kingdom of God. So don't give up. Don't be defeated. Don't believe that nothing in this world could defeat you because it can't as long as the greater one is inside of you. Y'all understand what I'm saying? And that greater one is God of very gods. Do we got any questions? Go ahead. Okay, so you said that um, God is three in one. So is that does it kind of work? And you gave the examples that many of us have heard before. But does it kind of work like in the sense that you may have an organization and you have different people working with different roles? However, they all are equal importance of making the whatever business or product, you know, providing that service. However, they have different roles in it. Is that the same? No. <laughs> You're going to be hard pressed to find anything on this planet that equals the same. Because even with that analogy, the part where it breaks down is they're not equally independent of one another and you get the same full force of the company. When you have God, they all move and they all operate completely 
in unison and in harmony, but one is just the same God as the other two independently. So that's it's, it's, it's nothing we can understand that make it make sense in our world. So do they have different roles? They don't have different roles. They operate sometimes differently. That's why I say you read and meditate on Ephesians 1, so you see some separation there in their roles in our salvation. It, it depicts the Father as planning our salvation, ordaining it from the beginning of times, and it shows Jesus as accomplishing it. He came down, he sacrificed his blood, and he called us to the Father, and it shows the Holy Spirit as sealing us and bringing to pass the thing that Jesus paid for. So in that sense, you see different roles. So in some aspects, sometimes you see different roles, but in other aspects, they switch. Like if I was to ask you, who raised Jesus from the dead? Huh? Yeah, one thing says the Spirit raised him from the dead. Then, and we probably thinking the same one. Romans 8 says, if you got the Spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead, so the spirit belongs to the one that raised Jesus from the dead. Then Jesus told the people, you tear down this temple and I'm going to raise it back up. So all of them get credit for raising Jesus from the dead because it's one act. It's one manifestation of God because it's one God. And you think about creation. Who get credit for creating us? You say, God created the world. John 1 said Jesus created everything. Like I said, in Job, it's all about the spirit forming and creating everything. Because they all was a part of it. It, it. They all existed as one. So there's a unison in their work, but then sometimes you do see that separation. Like I said, it's something we really can't completely fathom on this planet. The closest thing I come to that helped my mind a little bit without getting into like spooky trans-dimensional science stuff, which I don't get down with all that stuff, is something like light. Because light exists as a wave and a particle. And for y'all that ain't in science, that makes absolutely no sense. You should have paid attention when you was in science class. I got all else, but I understand that. <laughs> See, y'all laugh at me for flunking. I learned something. I just ain't do no work. Because <laughs> most things is either a particle or a wave. Like sound, that's a wave. It's the vibration of air that produces sound. Chair you sitting in, those are particles. Atomic particles. But light exists as both of them. And people have a hard time understanding that. Well, the science people that study that, because they kind of understand. You can't be both of them. You have to be one or the other, but it's both of them. Because there's something about the nature of light that can move. So it has a solidness, a touchy to it, but it's also not solid. So you don't understand. That's the closest I can get to, but it still don't make sense. Because if you separate the waves of light from the particles of light, I don't know how you can do that, but I don't know if it'll work. So. But God is mysterious. He's great. He's grand. And we can't quite understand. Any other questions? Um, I guess a lot of teachings and books and stuff about the Holy Spirit and um, bringing him to that place that he's God, the same as Jesus, same as God the Father. But and it goes into like communicating with him and that kind of thing. But when I'm reading... In the New Testament, a lot of times they'll they'll talk about God the Father and His Son Jesus, or our Lord Jesus, but it doesn't necessarily mention the Holy Spirit. Like it's not the same same, same frequency where they um, discuss Him, and so I'm just trying to get in my mind like what is what. Go to uh, John. I was thinking about that day. And when we delve into the inspiration of the Spirit, we'll talk about it a little more. John sixteen thirteen. John chapter 16, verse 13. It says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. Whatsoever, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and he shall shew it unto you. So it's talking about the coming of the Spirit. So it's Jesus telling them that when the Spirit come, he going to show you things to come, and he's going to glorify me. 
So the operation of the spirit inside the disciples was to show them stuff that's going to come and to glorify Jesus. And everything that we read in the scriptures is from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So if the if if this Holy Spirit job is to glorify Jesus and tell them other things that the Father is telling about to come, that's what they're going to be talking about. So the Spirit is the one inspiring the Word. And the part of the work and the operations of His inspiration is to glorify Jesus and tell them about things to come. So since every word that's down here is from the Spirit, that's what it's going to be about. So you're not going to hear a lot of mention of Himself because He told you. He shall not speak of Himself. But whatsoever you hear, that's what he's going to seek. So you don't see a lot of the Spirit being exalted through the Scriptures because the Spirit don't spend a lot of time talking by himself. Because the Spirit is the one that's doing the talking. You, you understand what it makes a little sense to you? So that's why you get these glimpses and you get these spots. But you don't get full expositions like you do with Jesus. Go ahead. So like, are we supposed to be communicating with, with the Holy Spirit? Or are we supposed to be praying to God in the name of Jesus through the Spirit? Because, you, you know, you have these yeah. teachings, good morning, Holy Spirit, yeah. and all of that kind of deal. I read that book. Deal. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say yes. In the sense that Paul, in his blessing formula, talked about the communicating, all the, the fellowship of the Spirit being with us always. But it's not as something where you distort your mind or you tapping into something greater by specifying good morning, Holy Spirit. How you doing today, Holy Spirit? Because when you're speaking to them, you're speaking through him and you're speaking to them as one. So to try to parse it all out and separate it, like, I guess to put it in colloquial terms, God ain't that pity. <laughs> So I don't think the Holy Spirit like, well, they ain't speak to me today. <laughs> Shoot, all this stuff I'm doing for them, they ain't even tell me, hey, how in the world are they going to walk in church and not say hey to me? Don't they know this is my house? <laughs> no, I don't think Holy Spirit like that. So when you're in union with them, when you're in communion with them, you're in communion with them all. So he he speaks to you. He guides you. The impressions, the the promptings, the opening up of the word, that's him moving and operating to you. But do you got to bog down yourself and say, I got to make sure I say, hey, Holy Spirit, too? Nah, because when you're talking to God, you're talking to God. And they are God. It makes sense. So you, you pray to the Father, you ask the Father, in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's what that's biblical. But when you're asking the Father through the Spirit in the name of Jesus, you're talking to the Holy Spirit too. Because he has a will, he moves and he acts as his plea. But once this Father decides, the Spirit is in unison with him. So if you plead with him, you're pleading with the other. And also, he's in unison with you because the stuff you don't know you're supposed to be praying about, he's praying with you on the behalf. So you don't got to... Like I said, I read the book, and it ain't that deep. <laughs> It answer your questions a little bit. It's just trying to get it all together in my mind. I mean, the God, the Father, I don't think anybody has any problem believing mm -hmm. that part. But it's like we're having to be convinced and taught about Jesus being being God and the Holy Spirit being God. It's, it's less evident. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I say the reason that that is, is because of the Spirit's operation. He moves and he operates and he speaks and he exalts God and he don't glorify himself. But also, if you pay close attention, especially to the Old Testament scriptures, the people who were close to God, they just had this understanding that they are God. And so they move seamlessly with these plurals back to singulars, and it didn't seem to be no confusion to them. Now you read the prophets, but Isaiah does it a lot. He talks about two, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, and his Redeemer, like he did the Lord, your Redeemer, and his spirit, then he talks about them as one. So that seemed to be a basic concept to them. But for somehow, when it made it to us, it got all confused. 
And it probably had to do with the Jews rejecting Jesus and the church fathers and all their fussing. I don't know how we get there, but it seemed to be at one point in time that the plurality of God was understood and it wasn't that big of a deal. So you don't see a lot of details. You just see mentions like in past. Like Isaiah, who shall go for us? And he just continued going on. He'll be like, hold up. Why are you talking about us? And then you, didn't Moses teach us that they don't, you'll never see those conversations. It's just keep going. Then you hear this singular throughout the rest of the whole thing. Then he might jump back and talk about two, talk about three. But for some reason, it's been messed up in our school that we just need to understand that God is more complex than what we conceive of him. And that's the way I comfort it with myself, that our God is a, is a complex God. He's a great being, which means he's greater than me. <laughs> I mean, so if my being is a solitary being, he's greater than me, which means he's however you understand it. It, it makes a little sense. But it's, it's something good to meditate on and to commune with God about so that he can open it up and give revelation to you. Any other questions? That's it. And just one last throw out just in case people forgot. If you got a question about anything that deals with life and godliness, this is the time for it. It don't necessarily have to be about what we're talking about. All right.